0: The subject for the evening talk is the Bodhisattva ideal. (coughs) The um, concept Bodhisattva, which is used widely in the Mahayana. Tradition is, I would say, an endorsement and a clear encouragement to us as human beings to realize ourselves and simultaneously to realise in life our potential to make manifest our awarenesses. And one has within the Mahayana tradition and very rightly and appropriately so um, a tremendous um, number of reminders through texts and through teachings which emphasize the interdependence and the interconnectedness that you and I have as human beings with the rest of life. And we are within the tradition we are frequently reminded of the preciousness, and the real and genuine preciousness of taking birth as humans. And we might speak of a full life, a life which is total, as one which addresses the importance, the enormous importance, and and I would say an importance which uh, goes further than even this planet, which addresses in our life, in our human experience, the inner and the outer and the relationship to those two. And we say that totality in life is the embracing of the inner and the outer. Now, to some degree, with us as people living on on the earth, if we're entrenched in a system we could almost describe ourselves not as human beings but as human havings because we're so preoccupied with having that our being is ignored and overlooked and and actively neglected. So we might say in a total life the preoccupation is not so much human having but perhaps we might say human being and human doing. And human being represents the, our innate um, intelligence and wisdom and self-knowledge and clarity. And human doing, when it's complemented with human being, expresses itself as compassion as an active participatory concern in this world in a meaningful way. And when there is compassion and it is making itself manifest, we might say of that that it's the path towards the Bodhisattva ideal. And we might even say that the Bodhisattva therein is at work. And in the course of talking with you this evening, I would like to give um, just perhaps three or four examples of what, in my perception, I would consider of some people that I know personally who I would say are engaged in what I would call bodhisattva work. And we have I mean, in, in our um, knowledge, of course, a number of people in uh, mind who are globally quite well known and who we might consider to be bodhisattvas in the, in their particular tradition or out of it. But there are considerable number of people on earth in different ways who... I might describe as being the unsung heroes, meaning people who are engaged in the work, which I could s- say is of that, we might say of bodhisattva material, let's put it like that. And so in recent time, <coughs> I have um, been um, reflecting a little bit on this relationship between our inner life and our outer life, our uh, expression. And one of the things which one notices, and I think this is fairly primary to all of this, is that there are people who see very clearly and very deeply who have a very profound and penetrative um, insights into life, into the nature of things, who um, express um, um, a tremendous freedom from fear, from greed, from um, violence, from confusion, have a great deal of clarity, a a certain... um, detachment in life a a stability which goes with that detachment and yet somehow one may feel well. yet somehow perhaps there isn't that bodhisattva work there isn't that outpouring um, in a sustained way of love and compassion for the world in a clearly manifest way and one wonders sometimes and sometimes some of us have wondered about this in um, some of the eastern traditions and eastern teachings which some of us love very dearly that how is it that there can be such clarity, such penetrative seeing and yet somehow no obvious sustained interest in the manifestation of the Bodhisattva ideal. And is it possible that there can be that kind of detachment without that? And it seems to me that one of the protests, this is now going historically now, one of the protests, and I think very rightly so, of the Mahayanist, and I'm not thinking here obviously of a place or a group of people or... Um, or a particular kind of um, obvious tradition, I'm talking about Mahayana spirit, that there was a protest, a historical one, quite a few centuries ago, where there was a, a real concern that men and women of serious contemplative practices, like you and I are engaged in, were not, in fact, taking that and finding ways to make that out there visible in the world. And therefore it appeared to be rather what would be referred to as a small vehicle, Hinayana, working for oneself with a um, general kindness for the world. And it seems to me that the Mahayana spirit in that respect, the greater vehicle, is one which endorses serious, sustained work on oneself and endorses serious and sustained work for life, for the planet. And one has, too, in the traditions here, Hindu Hindu tradition a similar kind of concept and this concept is called the um, it's called karma <coughs> yoga and with karma <coughs> yoga it's service for other human beings or service for the planet in a way which actively nourishes oneself part of one's practice, part of the work. And some have found, some of us have found, that in the understandings that come from the activity that we're engaged in, whatever it may be, where we feel it's nourished nourished us and benefited us, what it means is, frequently, like making a good meal, one prefers and wishes to share the meal, rather than just making it and eating it oneself. There's something within us as human beings that likes to share. And this liking to to share with others can show and make itself manifest in service in what is called in this country karma yoga. And one of the reflections that I have had and with the, with service and karma yoga, what is it that makes a switch from that to another sphere altogether. And it's some kind of stretching of one's heart and mind a little bit further than what we generally are willing to go. Something which goes a little bit further than what we think is actually possible. And that's where I want to touch on some examples here. And I think actual contemporary ones is um, far uh, uh, more appropriate. Um, I have a a friend who is Joe, who is on the board of the uh, Buddhist Peace Fellowship. And that is the American board. And right this minute as he has been for a few months. He's been in Guatemala. He's in Guatemala. Guatemala has, as many of you know, a long, long history of totally ignoring human rights. Has a long history of death squads, assassinations, threats, torture, imprisonment, the disappearance of countless numbers of people. And though through international protest, the work of amnesty and other concerned people of the planet, there has been some (laughs) slow but gradual reduction in this kind of Terrorism of the right, of the left, of the state, of the army, of the military, and so forth. It still goes on. So, Joe went there, and he's working, which isn't officially recognized, and therefore a danger in itself. The only human rights movement operating within Guatemala. And one of his purposes, as an American, is being an American and carrying with him some kind of um, status or position. One of the works that he does with this human rights agency is to travel from one village to another, from one town to another, with somebody whose life is under threat from the death squad. <coughs> and by his being with that person, it does give some small measure of protection to that person's life, because he's an American. And he's written, have received three or four letters from him and he said he was in a village in Guatemala and a young child of a family that he knows well and who he's very concerned about and yet the young child came up to him in the marketplace and said oh Joe 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 and Joe said, he said to the boy, Joe speaks Spanish, look, don't don't stand around me, please please go straight home. And and, and the little boy said, no, Joe, Joe, come with me, let's go for a walk, let's go and play. And in this case, Joe kept on having to say no to this little boy, go away, go home, because in this case, if he was seen with the boy suspicions would be aroused what's this American doing associating with this family and then the family might be be questioned because they're quietly registering protest Joe is standing at the bus stop one day and while standing at the bus stop there's another American standing there and the other American says to him what are you doing in Guatemala and Joe says well um I'm just um, visiting, having, spending a little time. He says to her, what are you doing in Guatemala? She said, oh, I'm just um, going to this place. And they're both equally afraid to say anything to each other because one fears that the other American may be CIA, may be military, may be working with the government, and he doesn't want to say who he is because he may be threatened, and it, similarly it may be for her that... In this case, it was a woman as well. Day in, day out. Not knowing who you can speak to because of the risk you take in every time you speak. Now, I call that, in my framework of reference, in that period of time which a human being is willing to extend himself or herself for people he doesn't know and has not had any connection with but just believes in human rights I call that Bodhisattva work I don't think it can be anything less but Bodhisattva work And, and so the way that I and it may be appropriate or not but the way that I tend to think of Bodhisattva work is in some cases there are wondrously and marvelously human beings who engage in such activity and they engage in it through the course of their life. This commitment and resolve through thick and thin, no matter what, to sustain this commitment to serve people, creatures and planet. And one wonders and one marvels at times, where is it within the human being and within the support system that allows a human being to say, the self-sensation doesn't really matter in the way I think it does. The personal self-sensation really isn't the priority in life, it isn't really the centre of the stage. I am not the centre of the stage, whoever the I is. And some kind of realisation, spiritual or social or religious or whatever, which, so to speak, pierces through the bubble of the self-sensation and that really opens one's eyes to our world, to 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 the pain that's in our world and to the heart being touched that one's heart's only wish in life, one's desire in life, is to reduce pain. So that sometimes we wonder, we we look at ourselves and we wonder, well, (coughs) about our life and what we're doing with it and the way that it's forming and taking shape and what's unfolding and for us and where 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 on earth, we might say, in literal terms, where on earth is our life going? You know, what what are we doing with it? And and sometimes you ask ourselves, look look, here we are, we're we have so much freedom, we have our social freedoms, we have an enormous amount of personal freedoms and can we explore those freedoms, sense those freedoms which you and I have right now and love them, and this is where love and bodhisattva comes in now, where one loves these freedoms so deeply, as it were right through the cells of one's being, one loves freedoms to such a degree that one's heart just says, I want to see others experience this freedom. I want people, other people to experience the freedom to do what they need to do, to say what they need to say, to write what they need to write, to explore what they need to explore, to, to be fed and clothed and sheltered and, and, and to enjoy life. And so it's not just, ha- it seems to me it's not just having freedoms, but it's experiencing freedoms and loving them in a way that it can't help but generate outwardly. Mary Lightfoot, who uh, was sitting over, when we were facing the um, other direction before we turned around to this side to see how the action or reaction or non-action, whatever, um, was sitting over there. And Mary, for a number of us, has been a good friend for quite a few uh, years. And she works in this area as an independent social worker and relies on kindness and um, goodwill and support of quite a few uh, people. And in 1979, (laughs) she decided she wanted to make a commitment to working in this area, in the villages around here. And she went out to a village and spent time in one of these uh, very tiny little villages or hamlets, we might describe them. And she discovered, (laughs) and which many of us as Westerners, you know, you know, we can live in India, we can come to India, and we can go out pretty well as ignorant as when we went in. And she went into the villages and began meeting with the people. (coughs) And she found that the um, Mahant, that's the, 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 basically is the basically the Hindu landlord, basically, has in this area access to some twelve thousand acres of land. Land which belongs to the people who on their own land are landless, the landless people. And the law, the legislation has been passed years ago when it was India years ago. That 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 no person can own more than a certain amount number of acres of land, and I'm not quite sure the figure. I think it's 500 acres. The Mahant has name of land in the name of different Hindu deities. (laughs) (coughs) So there is a conflict between the landlord and the landless. And some of the people in the village, which is five minutes walk away from here with 200 families in the village, need as a basic, minimal requirement for their survival, 200 acres. Surely for one family to live, surely on one acre, that's what they're asking one acre for one family and there is a refusal to give it to only give 60 acres there are people young people in this area who are meeting sometimes the meetings take place all night and Mary is involved in this and there is aggression directed towards her she is regarded as being on the side of the landless There are people, including local politicians, etc., etc., who are against her. It's not an easy situation to be in, day in, day out, one year after the next. That takes spirit. It takes courage. And I feel, again, it somehow communicates in these challenging situations what I would call that bodhisattva spirit without placing too high uh, uh, label on it but as it were I think bringing it back down to earth a little bit just before the new year Mary received a message, an urgent message, that a dear friend of hers had died. And this man has been working for the poor, the dispossessed, and the landless. And he's made a whole variety of contacts and people getting to know of their, their rights on this planet. And he works mostly in the Benares, in the Varanasi area. And he was on a trip out in Maharashtra. And while in the jeep, he was with a German family mother, father, and their two children, one aged six and one aged seven, who are very close friends, and he regarded the children like his own children, and this German family had been a tremendous support to him over the years. And while driving along, a truck went by, and very tragically, the truck, materials on the truck, fell off the truck and fell onto the jeep. He was killed, and very tragically as well So were the two children. So, the loss for the parents, as a parent of a six-year-old myself, the the thought is heartbreaking. The loss for the parents must be devastating to lose their best friend and their two children, (coughs) and the parents too were injured in the crash. And the loss too of the support where somebody acts as a, a centre, as a person in a network of people realising that they are able to organise themselves and empower themselves because there are people around and say, yes, let's do it. Let's, let's do this together, this organising together. And people are doing that. And now this person who has, has, been, an, has been a catalyst is gone. And what will it mean for those countless numbers of people in the villages who have lost their one great source of strength and hope Whew, boy. so in this work of these people in the world who are actively expressing and 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 generating something, one one wonders what is it, what is the process, what is it in the heart what is it deep down in the well of one's being which which enables that What what is it that's going to enable us as people to be touched in that way, in a way which denies traditions, it denies religion, it denies philosophy, it denies all our personal beliefs, etc, etc. It, 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 as it were, it consumes all of that. It's that kind of love and compassion which has got nothing to do with converting people to a, a, a belief system and uh, whatever. But what, what is it that connects? What, what's going to connect us in that way? And to me, there it, it doesn't seem to be a formula. There doesn't seem to be a method, a technique, a kind of strategy in life which says, if you do this and this on yourself, then there'll be this outpouring. There doesn't seem to be a mechanistic, systematic approach that the heart generates fully and unequivocally In the stream of life, one can't find a technique for that, and so sometimes in that we are, possibly, inspired by example. We see we see somebody and we and that. that, to say, wow, this person has so much love, so much <coughs> energy, so much capacity, and, and we respond in that and we want to be the same way. Sometimes it's through the meditative processes of working on oneself. Sometimes it's through reflection. And sometimes it's just simply through opening our eyes and really looking at what's around us and really, just really stopping and asking ourselves well, here I have this life what really matters when it really comes down to it what matters and I find when I talk to people and meet with people and, uh, and like, us- <coughs> like ourselves there are you know, in spite of everything, many extraordinary people on the earth, I mean, there are many, many people, and every person is in their own way, and in the way of compassion and the Bodhisattva ideal, there are still, mercifully and thankfully, many who walk on the face of the earth, who are expressing that Bodhisattva spirit, in in, in countless ways. and And they make life they bring beauty to life and they bring dignity and respect and reverence for life and they are the real soil of the earth and and so sometimes the question arises what is going to touch us what is going to open our eyes that really there's no choice we live clearly and in touch and in the way of the bodhisattva, because everything else is, doesn't compare. And perhaps what... Perhaps somehow one of the things which question, uh, we ask ourselves with that, is it a matter in some way or other of me as a human being, whoever me is as a human being, identifying with other human, do I, do I need in some way or other to feel the pain of others, to share their poverty, or to share their hardship, or to share their injustice, to some way connect with the people? I can live my life as a kind of fly on the wall, a kind of um, philosopher, a detached observer, a perceiver of the problems, or can I live my life in which somehow or other I connect I feel, somehow I feel what <coughs> is occurring for people. And when I notice that there are some people who do feel very much the pain of other people, I mean really do, the, the pain of, 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 of animals so abused and, and all these wonderful creatures who have no voice. You know, do you know how important that is? the animals of our planet the creatures of our planet have no voice we are their voice if we do not speak up for the animals and for the creatures they will as they are g- will go systematically extinct one every hour of the species is becoming extinct unless we speak see so what what is it what is it that in In that, and yet, as I say, some people are very sensitive to life, and their heart, their soul is very open. And unfortunately, the pain is felt genuinely inside. And what what does happen? It sometimes has a kind of paralysing. One can't take the pain of the earth. It's too much pain. So instead of allowing, having the possibility for it to flow. It, it, it paralyses. And there are people, there are women and there are men who have to work very hard on themselves to keep the tenderness for life and the softness and the love and the affection for life, to deal with the pain of being connected. And yet somehow through that to allow the flow to take place. To allow that bodhisattva spirit of Giving, 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 giving. And when one says, I can't give any more to say, I'm just beginning giving, 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 giving. I have a friend, Jim, Jim Perkins, who... Uh, Like the um, uh, others that I um, mentioned, Mary and Joe, who who I've talked many times together. And Jim went down to a place in Miami called Orlando. The main feature of Orlando is it has a nuclear weapon base. He had a number of meetings with non-violent activists, And they all shared their concern about the threat of nuclear violence, of the horror and terror of nuclear weapons, and felt that the constant expansion on the planet of these weapons was in fact a constant infringement, and a sustained infringement on human rights and on one's religious rights. <coughs> By having these imposed on, on the earth, on one's land, that they, are, that they were, are, in fact and in symbol, utterly <coughs> anti-religious. His friends traveled secretly down to Miami, five of them. They made plans, and with bolt cutters, they crawled through the woods during the night. With the bolt cutters, cut the fence, climbed through the fence, and went to where the missiles are assembled and then began to deface and hammer these missiles. A guard came out c- completely shocked uh, what was being seen and Jim said to me that they put their hands up in the air and started singing because there was a real possibility that in breaking into that base with the fear and paranoia of terrorism etc they would be shot dead right there on the spot. They were arrested, handcuffed, chained moved from various prisons and then (coughs) put up for trial. And Jim received a uh, three-year sentence. As he said, we probably did less damage than two middle-price cars crashing together. The next people who went in to another base, there have been 23 such actions on nuclear weapons bases in the States did the same thing in another part of... This is in Atlanta. <coughs> two priests, a mother in her fifties. The mother and the two... Uh, mother and one other person received for the same action 18-year sentences. The other two priests received 12-year sentences each. Very little publicity, very, very little, and now they're incarcerated in prison. They knew, before they went in, the risk and the intolerance of the state towards such actions, and they received their sentences. And within a few days of receiving their sentences, there was another team to do exactly the same thing somewhere else. That's spirit. That's courage. And now they're up to their their 23rd action has taken place. Every time they are arrested and incarcerated in those monstrous prisons of the US, somebody else says, I'll do it as well and I'll go in as well. That's spirit. That's bodhisattva spirit those people are speaking for the planet they're speaking for 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 life regardless of what it means for their personal feeling and safety so this this way of action and, and that sometimes may show itself in social f- forms and political forms and personal forms and it may show itself in the sustained commitment to the welfare of a human being or the welfare of a species or whatever. But somehow it's as though the love, I mean that real kind of love and spirit, it's like the body and the heart and our mind, it's like, it, it's like we can't contain it. And, it and not being able to contain it, it reaches out further than the loved ones. It, it spreads itself through to, not only to the immediate but beyond the immediate. Not only to this generation, but beyond this generation. Not only to this group of people, but beyond to all groups of people. And there's something in the spirit of a human being, and in the action, and in that bodhisattva compassion, that bodhisattva passion for life, which seems to be that it, it doesn't know a limit to it. There's no point in you I saying, well, I would like to be like this, or I should be like this, or whatever. It's more of that opening of our eyes and looking. It's more those gestures of <coughs> letting, <coughs> letting go in order that something else may be perceived more clearly, may be felt in our life more clearly. And if one feels in one's life, well, I, you know, I, on my own, I can't do this, and I can't do that, and that I don't feel that kind of outflow, then one, surely, yeah. then one has, we have a, a responsibility to totality, to be, find situations which stretches us, which, which, exp- which forces us to look and look again and to make contact with like-minded people who are forcing us to question. And there are many opportunities for that. That we overstretch ourselves and we're willing to do it again and again and again. And in a way, in a very, I think in a very real way, at this point in the 20th century, it's the only hope for the planet. It's the only hope for the earth and for the peoples and the creatures of the earth if we move out of the drift of human having to being and doing. May all beings live with love. May all beings live with compassion. May all beings be awakened.